And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Rich, what? What do you mean you're not you're not podcasting? You're you're done with me. What? What? Rich, it's in your con. Well, that was unexpected. All right. Welcome, everybody. Did you hit it? Okay. <laughs> we'll see if we keep this. In. I've, usually I hear you hit your keyboard. I didn't hear you hit your keyboard. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? You made it. I'm glad you made it. Happy to have you here. We're a better podcast when you are joining us. Uh, hope you're doing well. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, man. It's uh, it's been a lot of stuff happening. A lot of stuff. So You've got a one and one basketball team. You know they had a solid one seventeen to ninety seven win over a. I mean, they're an NBA team, and the New Orleans Pelicans without Zion moment. Williamson. Uh, they they are they do get paid. I'm not going to go too much farther than that. They are a bad NBA team. But the Sixers took care of them pretty handily. There, especially late with a firkin' run that was amazing. A firkin' amazing run. And mm-hmm. then they came out and controlled the Brooklyn Nets, a much better NBA team, who, I mean, playing, well, at least they're playing at the Brooklyn Nets version of full strength. Uh, and they led them for 47 out of 48 minutes, unfortunately. Basketball games are 48 minutes at the minimum. The Nets came, uh, took the lead with an and one from Lamarcus Aldridge and never looked, but looked back. The Sixers ended the game being outscored 16 to 1 over the final 532. So certainly it's a good, it's a good point by you. If you were gonna pick a minute to lead, <laughs> yeah. it would be the 48th one. Yeah. It would, it would. Um felt very you know, I, I I joked Doc Rivers took a lot of the pressure off of Ben Simmons to remind you of some of the other faults of this basketball team because they have now blown big leads in, you know, what? Four of their last five games that they've played, something of that sort. Four of the last yeah, the six. Re- the real ones, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which hashtag not great, but that is sort of where we are. But where would you like? To, and, and and then you've got you've got the whole Ben Simmons saga. Where would where would you, Rich Hoffman, like to start? Well, let's start with the game first because I think, believe it or not, the Ben Simmons saga. I'm not sure it's good news, but it might not be worse news than the game and the actual on court stuff, which is a change from what we've been dealing with for a while. So let, let's go with the game first. And and you kind of mentioned the jumping off point here. Doc Rivers, I don't know. I, maybe it's just I'm reading my Twitter mentions too much. Maybe I'm reading Reddit too much. Doc Rivers is in the crosshairs now. I think the, the honeymoon phase for... Which, by the way, for... reading both of those... I, look, I love Twitter. Would not have a career without it. I love Reddit. Used correctly, it can be very beneficial for both our jobs and I think for fans... You get too deep into either one of those and it can get dark real quickly. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it can get like actually dark instead yeah. of we want to fire our basketball coach who makes 
you know, eight to $10 million a year dark. Uh, so we're, we're working on different, uh, levels here. Yeah. He is in the crosshairs. Now the, the honeymoon period is over. And I think on the one hand, I'm thinking of it like, man, that's the second game of the year. Guess what? There are going to be bad losses the rest of the season. <laughs> Just the way this thing works. Uh, they they played pretty well for most of the game. There are some actual positives you can take, even sure. though the last five minutes were absolutely abysmal. I agree with everybody. But th- there is part of me that's like, hey, a little perspective here. On the other hand, after you blow that Atlanta Hawks series and Doc Rivers has the history that he has, I, I think it's it's pretty clear he is under the... I don't know. Is he on like the Brett Brown season five, season six plan right now in terms of the, the scrutiny he is getting from the, the fan base and uh, without saying whether it's deserved or not? I think. Well, I think it's deserved. I, I do, you know, second game, whatever. Uh, but but it's clear that he is now under the microscope. Yeah. And, you know, that that 16 to one run, a lot of times it's turnovers. I think they only had one turnover in that span. They shot, what, I think 0 for 9 from the field, including 0 for 5 from three-point range, which included three just complete air balls by Danny Green, <laughs> which amazingly included a heat check air ball from Danny Green, which after you air ball two in a row, you shouldn't, the, heat, the third one should not be a heat check. Uh, he I love Danny Green. I, I love Danny Green. I don't care. I do, I, those air balls were horrible. They were bad. I, I, I don't care. He's, go, he's just going to keep shooting. And that's- Which he should. He, he should. He should. Yeah. But he has not been great here to start the season. No, uh, you know, I think the look, sh- the shot's going to come and go. He has been in foul trouble a lot. I think he struggled a little bit because he's now asked to do a lot more defensively. And also he's just hitting a, a tough spot in his shot right now. Um, that, 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 that happens. We've seen that happen many times with shooters, not a minor concern. Cause he's not young. Uh, what is he? 35 ish. So there's some concern there, but he will probably get it back. That's, that's, it's fine. But he did not help in the fourth quarter, uh, the other night there against Brooklyn, He'll start hitting the rim at least. <laughs> right, right, right. He will at least start coming up short. Um, those those air balls were like close. playing. They were like playing hoops down the shore when it's like super windy and it's impossible to to judge the wind if you're playing on a court near the beach. Like I, I don't think there was any wind in the <laughs> no. Wells Fargo Center last night, and on a couple of those, it was like, oh my yeah. god, is he? Yeah. <laughs> what is he doing? It was not close. <laughs> not close. Um, but like you said, there were some positives to take away from that. It's just the execution towards the end of that game didn't really get good shots. Uh, didn't get the free. Uh, nobody outside of Joel Embiid got to the free throw line really in that game. Uh, I think outside of Embiid, the next closest was actually Furkan, I think. And I don't even remember when he got those three free throw attempts, but I think he was second highest on the team. Even Joel Embiid right now is not really getting the free throw line like he normally does. Nope. Um, so they really, you know, struggled. The, the ball movement, I do agree, got worse towards the end of that game. The shots weren't necessarily great, but I mean, look, Doc had, first of all, like Doc has timeouts. He can dial, dial up plays. He can call plays. He doesn't love it. Um, it is his job to get the team to execute, but also there were two pretty obvious blown calls Ooh. that he didn't challenge at all. And look, the first blown call was what the first one was the out of bounds, right? The off of Durant's leg. That was the first one that came. I, I thought the charge came first. Might be. It doesn't truly matter. So there are two plays. One of them, um, Tobias Harris, I believe it was, uh, stripped the ball from Durant. The ball hit Durant's leg, went out of bounds. They called it off of Tobias. On replay, it was very obviously off of Durant. The Sixers would have gotten that ball. I don't believe 
that the Nets scored on that possession anyway. So I don't think it really hurt them in that regard. The second one, or the other one, um, was a, a charge uh, where Kevin Durant was coming down in transition. Danny Green got in position. Uh, they called it a blocking foul, I believe, on the last two minutes report here the day after. They did say that was an incorrect call that should have been a charge. Yeah. And that one they did end up, I think that was actually the possession where they got the and one to take the lead for good. So that one did definitely cost them. Uh, and they used the, char- or the challenge on neither of them. And after the game, you know, Doc Rivers said, hey, I've got a guy behind the bench. Um, he said thumbs down on both of them. Didn't think that we would get the call. They were both incorrect decisions. And regardless of whether or not he has a guy behind the bench, like you've got to make better use of those challenges. And Doc has always been exceptionally stingy with using those challenges. He seems like he wants to save them for like the final possession of a game for some reason. And it costs the Sixers possessions throughout the season. It costs the Sixers two possessions there in that game or a chance at one of those two possessions in that game. And look, in a, you know, really this came down to a one possession game up until the end. Um, You know, the... Sixers got into a spot where they had to start fouling. The, le- the lead ballooned up a little bit. But a possession here or there could have swung that game. And do I think if you give the Sixers an ex- extra possession, they're going to score any points? No, not really. They hadn't really scored. Like, I think the only point they got in that entire five-and-a-half-minute stretch was on an intentional foul. So they probably weren't <laughs> going to run good offense even with the extra possession. But as a coach, you've got to give your team every chance to succeed. And I don't think Doc did that the other night. No. And, I mean... I- like, look, the, the offense at the end of the game was the bigger issue. The last points they actually scored, you're, you're right. It was Curry got intentionally fouled at the end of the game. And of course, you know, I, I don't know what percentage free throw shooter it is. It's good. His last name's Curry. Yeah. Of course, he goes one of two. Right. They were, they were, the they were down like three, right? And they intentionally fouled him so he couldn't get a three off and he went one for two. Yeah. On a night where he was excellent for most of the game. Um, but the offense was just bad down the stretch. The last points were the Matisse Dibel alley oop with uh with about five thirty-three left in the game. That's just that offense against a team that look, I, I think the Nets are gonna win the title. I think defending them is just a nightmare. It's a nightmare even without Kyrie. They just run it's un- we were talking about this when we we're watching the game. They just run a pick and roll it's for so Harden easy. It's with so Joe easy. Harris yeah. or or somebody. And it's it's horrifying. They they get good shots and and they I think when they shoot from three last night something like thirty percent I think it was yeah not great thirty two percent the Sixers dodged a bunch of bullets on those but I don't really think that's a reflection on their defense more than just it's really freaking hard to stop that Nets team and, and they did a decent job I thought for most of the night frankly uh, so but but on the other end of the court the Nets are not a very good defensive team and early in the season. They, you know, they, they really haven't shown signs in the preseason. They didn't show signs in the first game against Milwaukee that they have the ability to stop teams. And for most of the game, the Sixers were getting yep. whatever they wanted. Yeah, okay, they weren't getting fouled, but it was, you know, they were running those double drags for Tyrese Maxey, and it was just like the Nets had no idea what to do with them. And uh, so to to completely fall off a cliff at the end of that game and just get stopped time and time again. That's pretty disappointing. That That is a bad loss. Uh, as far as doc with the challenges though, like you were saying, it doesn't, it feel a little Andy Reedish yep. at this point. And I like, look, that's unforgivable. The, I, I thought if you want to say I'm not challenging a block charge 
Okay. But there's a minute left. What are you saving it if, for? If there's if there's a minute left, that's fine. And also, you were right. Like Danny Green wants to challenge every single call. Yeah. I watched it last night. I don't know how many fouls he had, but he twirled his fingers asking. <laughs> and by the way, this is in the second quarter. This is just what Danny Green does. That was the one where Danny Green was in good position and KD was completely out of control. So, yes, I agree with you. But there was the one before where the ball went off KD. Look, you're completely right. Like, Doc, do you not have agency? But if at the end of the game with two calls, in such a close game with like two minutes or less and you can't score at all, you could probably draw up a play in the huddle after you win the challenge too, which is what Doc is supposed to be good at, to to fumble those and just say, no, 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 I'm the most conservative guy in the world on these. I'm not going to challenge them. That is fucking horrible, man. You have to at least try. And then if the refs make it, they say it's not conclusive or whatever. I, I don't know. I mean, I thought the ball was clearly off Durant. That's just, that's bad coaching right there. And Andy Reid was one of the best, pl- he still is, one of the best play callers, one of the best offensive game planners in the world. Great coach. His stubbornness on that for years was complete horseshit. It was just stubbornness. It was not accepting it was going to be right. And basketball challenges are probably less of a big deal than football challenges. They definitely are. But come on, man. <laughs> if you cannot neglect that area, and I feel like Doc has done that for too long. So that's got to stop right yeah. now. Uh, yeah, so that, that that's basically my thoughts on Doc. That was not a great performance. That was not not great Bob, as you said in the tweet today. Not great Doc. That was not a, a good performance from him last night. Is the loss, like, the, the biggest deal in the world? No, I, I, I don't think so. No. But, uh, yeah, yeah that, that was not great. Yeah, and it really is like that that offense is slowing down. And look, I feel like the Sixers record, I think the Sixers struggled in close games to start the season and then won a lot of them towards the end. I think their record in close games was actually turned out to be pretty good last year. But the offense, you know, slowing down to a halt is something we've seen before. And it's something where you go back and I think we always sort of said this was part of what we said with with Brett, changing the coach isn't magically going to fix the personnel on this team. And that's true if Ben Simmons comes back. That's true if he's not here. You've just never had, I mean, just watching, you brought up James Harden, watching Kevin Durant set a screen, let the seven foot freaking guard get in the middle of the paint <laughs> of the floor. Terrifying. And like, you, there's nothing you can do. You can't challenge him at the rim. He'll kick it out. Like there's just no, there's no answer for any of it. Sixers have never had that luxury. Everything they do, especially late in games has always seemed like a chore. And do I blame that all on doc? No, but that's why you've got to get the little things right that you can't control. That's why you've got to, you know, yeah. Get those challenges right. That's why when you come out of a timeout, and I think he used two of them down the stretch, like you've got to be able to get something out of those plays. And they just they failed in every regard the other night. Just every regard. But but you're right though. That that is a big personnel issue that the Sixers have. They they had a closer for what, like two thirds of a season the one time, and guess what? That was when their team was the best over yep. the past five years. So uh yeah, no, they they, they don't have a closer. And if you if you go back and look at some of those shots, I mean Tobias, like make a bunny, man. Joel, maybe he got hit on that, you know, on that post up where he burrowed his way under the basket and, and you want the foul call. But like look, Joel has not played very well offensively no. in his first two games. He so was, he it, was settling it, for jumpers big time. Yep. If uh like if you look at his final statistical line, 
he was definitely settling for jumpers. Six of 15 for 19 points, eight rebounds, four assists, three turnovers. I'm sure he had a few more uh, baskets created from, from the post when the Nets were doubling him. But if you told the Nets that they were going to get that line from Embiid in that game, they would have thought, oh, we're going to win by 20. Yeah. That's just, that's a game, you know, I, I'm not sure to say you have to score 30. I mean, that depends on what the defense does against you. But he needed to be much more of a, a presence in that game, and he wasn't. And I think that that also leads into the next storyline is, man, I hope his right knee is okay. I mean, that... Yeah. So he, he bumped knees, what, like a couple minutes into the opener? Like two minutes into the game. Against yeah. the Pelicans. Did not look right at all against the Nets. They're coming out now. They're traveling to Oklahoma City against just a complete garbage team. And Joel Embiid said he's, he's, he's not going to rest. Um, he said, here's his quote, we'll see how it feels tomorrow, uh, but I'm not planning on sitting. I want to keep playing as long as there's not any big damage on it. Uh, and Doc Rivers at one point then said, uh, when you get need in the kneecap, uh, you get tight. It's sore. It absolutely hurts your mobility. I thought I could see that throughout the game. You don't get injured by playing with it. It just doesn't feel great playing with it. So it doesn't sound like they are planning on resting him. They don't believe that is going, that resting him would help well. him. Oh, by the healthy. way, Drummond's Drummond's the one who's doubtful now too. Yeah. Like great, great timing on that. <laughs> yeah, um, I you can't control it, but yeah, it doesn't seem like Joel is going to rest against a team that they should put away in the first half, uh, and hopefully they they do, so he can get a little bit of rest. See a lot of Paul Reed, a lot of Charles Bassey, um, because you need Joel to to get right. Because I agree with you, he's not playing at one hundred percent right now, um, and maybe he can't do any more damage. By playing on it, but he he's just not moving well. He's just not moving well. Yeah, and it you know th- this they better be right about this. This better be a thing that continually gets better as time goes on, even if he keeps playing. Because this game in Oklahoma City, I mean, that is a textbook. Just don't play him. Yeah, don't play him. And I I you know Drummond being out. What I mean, that's just horrible luck. Because if Drummond was healthy. And he is listed as doubtful and beat as questionable right now. That's that's so easy. You just play Drummond and B-Ball Paul. I mean, I, I would be tempted to just say, play B-Ball Paul and play Bassey and just, just try and win the game that way. Because my thing is like, if Embiid, if this is something that can get better fairly quickly with some rest here, it would be much better to risk a couple of games here and just think like, okay, like this might be dicey. Maybe we go 500 during the stretch, Oklahoma City. You know, I I understand we're not playing an NBA level center rotation here, but that team doesn't have NBA level players on a lot of their roster. Uh, They're very processed Sixers-y. Because my thing is- If if, if we asked everyone listening whether they can name Oklahoma City's starting five, and somehow you could have everyone sort of like input stuff, like pause right now, have everyone submit a guess- I don't think anybody of the hundreds of people listening, as as you once once said, I don't think anybody would get the starting five. Not a single let person. Me, let me try. Do you have it up right now? I have it up. Oh, I have up who they started against the Rockets. Who, and That's they fun. got they got smoked by the Rockets, by the way. Like smoked. They haven't been close in either of their two games. So I'm gonna guess Shea Gilgis Alexander. The one yep. that everyone would guess, yeah. Yep. That's the easy one. Yep. Uh does Darius Baisley start for them? He does. He does. Does Josh Giddy start for them? He does. And the, one of the two remaining one is is pretty easy to get, I think. 
pretty easy to get is uh does Lou Dort start? He does. That was that was the easy one. If you get this one, I'll be a little bit surprised. Moses Wright? No. Okay, yeah, I don't know. I don't know anybody else on their team. Isaiah Pope? Who? Isaiah Robbie. He's the 45th pick in the 2019 draft. Yeah, I mean, I remember the name. I can't really tell you anything he does. I mean, he he played a decent amount for OKC last year because they were garbage last year, too. Well, they still have Poku, right? (laughs) Yeah, sure. And I mean, look, they've got some players they've drafted because they've got 140. They've still got Mike Muscala. Thanks, Mike. We we appreciate uh, Tyrese. Um, But yeah, Yeah. just a... a, I mean, they, they should be able to beat that team without... Embiid and Drummond and Simmons. Like but, they... but my general point on Embiid is like, if, if look, look, that's bad luck that he got need by uh, who? I guess it was Valanciunas. I, I didn't actually go back and rewatch it. He said it was a hell of a shot by the big fella. So I'm going to assume that was Valanciunas. And um, real quick, I, I do think Embiid's defense has been quite good mm-hmm. in the first, first two games. Like, especially last night, we talked about Durant and Harden. That's a shitty spot to be in when you're the center, yeah. having to play cat and mouse against that. And he did a nice job. With limited mobility, I thought, uh, but it but it showed up more on the offensive end. Uh, but my thing is like, we'll see when Ben Simmons comes back. But you need Embiid to be All Star, All NBA, Embiid, and offensively he hasn't been that through the first two games. So, yeah. you know, if if, if you want to keep, you know, winning at a decent clip, you're going to need that. So I, I don't know. This would be a game that I would be tempted to say, eh, let's just let's just try and go small and hope. Uh, Hope Tyrese and Seth go crazy and Tobias plays well and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, who knows? And like you said, Seth just completely locked in. Like he was the way him and Danny Green and look, Danny Green then fell off the cliff really quickly after that. But the way they hunted threes early on in that game, especially like deep threes off the dribble threes in transition was nice to see. I think they shot. They, I think I got up like nine attempts in the first quarter. Uh, and those two were on fire and 36 and, on the game too. Yeah. And, and Seth good. came out and he, I mean, he was, he was attacking all night, nine, nine of 12 from the field, 23 points, four for four from three hitting his pull-up shot after they started running him off the line. He was really, really good. And he's been, you know, we were mentioning this the other day. If you take out that stretch right after he got diagnosed with COVID last year, he's been a really good offensive player for them. Uh, and I think he's going to have a, I think he's gonna have a good year. I think he's a really good fit next to Joel Embiid. Uh, outside of that, Tobias, he's, He's getting his 20, 23 every night. Uh, you would love to see. I mean, look, he didn't get the free throw line the other night. He hasn't shot more than, I think, what? He's got Bad. six three-point attempts in two games. Uh, you'd like to see more from him in that regard. End up with 23 points on 20, 20 shots. Um, you could you could use more from Tobias than you've gotten, certainly in that second game. Um, and Danny Green, just a, a zero offensively through two games. Um, we'll see if he gets it back. What have you thought of young Maxi through two games? Uh, I mean, he needs to find a way to get to the free throw line. Like it's going to be real, almost impossible for him because he's not, he doesn't have great court vision. He's, he's not a non-passer, but he doesn't have elite vision at this stage. So in order to be a real high level score, he's going to have to either make a healthy amount of three pointers or get to the free throw and really to be a high level, high usage perimeter score you need to do a little bit of both and right now i just don't really have confidence in either one i have confidence in the jumper over the course of his career or well, let me rephrase that i have more confidence in the jumper developing throughout the course of his career maybe not this year maybe not when they need it to to the level they need it to this year for him to be that lead guard but i have confidence it will eventually be competent and respectable 
I worry about the foul drawing quite a bit. To not get to the free throw line, he's got, what does he have here? 31 field goal attempts and zero free throw attempts after having that one sucks. free throw attempt in the preseason. And look, not good. some of these, I think he's getting contact on some drives, but they're all borderline. They're all 50-50s, not even 50-50s. That as a young player, he's not going to get the call on. And he just, he doesn't, he doesn't have that. There's a, like an innate ability to draw fouls and, and seek out contact. He didn't do that much at Kentucky. He didn't do that much last year. He had a stretch toward the end where he got marginally better. And we all hoped that that was development. He needs to do a better job getting the free throw line. If he's going to be that high usage guard. And that to me, even more than the jumper, because I think eventually he's going to be able to pull that jumper out to the three point line, at least at a respectable level. But getting the free throw line is it's it's really starting to concern me. It is. And he makes these shots where like he can get to where he wants to go on the court and he has such body control and touch. And you're like, wow, the skill level is really intriguing. He needs to fill in some of these gaps, though. It, it was, you know, a lot a lot of people, oh, oh Maxie's ready, you know, he's playing good. Uh you look at the stat sheet, seven of seventeen, fifteen, 15 points. points. Yep two assists like that's not a good game that's just it's just not good and frankly he's passing up some threes as well he's he did that a lot in his first two games I I thought you know his first game was much better statistically I thought that overstated how well he played that that sort of happened later in the game I mean he was good in the third quarter when, when MB got going in New Orleans but he also added a few more after Cork just went absolutely crazy yeah. in that fourth quarter his, his first half of that game was not very good uh, and this is the worry, right, with this team, because you're asking a lot of him. And, you know, last year, if he's coming off the bench, you know, take seven of 17 and 36 minutes. And, you know, what what is it? It's shrink know, it in half, five shrink. of five yeah. of 11 and whatever. That That's cool. Uh, that's not good enough from your starting point guard. And, you know, he, he has the loud good plays like he had a he had a really nice step back three He kind of held his uh follow through up after it he was feeling himself a little bit look and i agree with you it, it bodes well for the future because he looks good shooting that that's like okay when that becomes more consistent like he definitely has the ability to create space there but you're, you're so right about the drives in that i feel like he's just trying to blow by everybody and he doesn't realize hey you know if they're backpedaling maybe like run into the guy's hip you know, have you have you like try and seek a little bit of contact because it'll make you a better finisher when you start doing that. It just feels like a lot of times he's trying to reach around a defender yep. and and scoop up a shot, and that's that's hard to do. So that's frankly that's got to change like now because uh, thirty one shots, zero free throws. That's that's just not cutting it. Um, and look, I like you can both games you can point to stuff and be like, wow. That's impressive. Wow, the potential is obvious. Wow, he's you can even say he's made progress. That's all true. But he's a it's it's why being a 20 to 21 year old, I think he's gonna be turning 21 here really soon. But why being such a young point guard on a championship contender starting as maybe your third or fourth most talented offensive player, holy shit, that's a lot to ask. That's just a lot to ask. Yeah, and I by the way, I, I think he's gonna get better. I'm I'm excited to watch him as the season goes along because he's gonna have better games. He's gonna yeah. make adjustments and he's gonna get better, but the but the bar is pretty high now for him. And also, I, I should add this, N- Nikhil Alexander Walker lit his ass up yeah. on the other end of the yep. court the other night too. And Nikhil Alexander Walker's a good player. I think a lot of people before the season thought he was primed for a breakout, but you know, I I think a lot of times it just gets thrown in there. Oh, he's this great ball pressuring defensive player. Eh, 
I'm not sure he's a po- he's you know what he's not a positive on that end of the floor right now. So C- certainly not when you pair him with uh, Seth Curry. Yeah, yeah, and like it, but the the difference is like you said, Seth is pretty established. That dude is a good offensive player right now. Uh, you need Maxi to be that as well. We will see uh, if he uh, if he gets there. And again, I hate you for setting me up to shit on Tyrese Maxi because I'm really excited about his future, and I think they did a really good job with that. What was it, 21st pick? It's just you. It's real tough to be what they are asking him to be right now. Yeah. Uh, bench. I'm trying to think. Wait, wait, Niang Drummond. What have you thought of them? Oh uh, well, I mean, okay. So Niang didn't shoot all that well in the second game, but he's he's what you would expect. Um, just a, a real. You know, we, I think we at one point were discussing whether or not open three to win the game if we would want Curry or Niang, and I think we both said Niang, and then he went like one for five for the rest of the game, um, <laughs> which which maybe that's our fault. But I, I have a lot of trust in that spot-up shot. I think he's a... I, we said this beforehand. Like I think he's got a little more passing juice than maybe he showed yeah. at Utah, but it's tough to show that because he's so slow. He's not actually going to ever force rotation. But I think he makes a lot of good decisions. His defense is... you know, Look, does he make the most of his defensive profile? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like the underwritten part of that is that he has a really terrible defensive profile, oh, but yeah. I think he's a pretty smart team defender. Um, yeah. I think he's a excellent shooter who is a smart basketball player. And I think he's it's mostly good, shown that it's a good fit on this team with two real centers who yeah. shoot around the basket. I, like, yeah. I, I think the bench, like when you start, cause I mean, obviously Cork had that, that run there. What was it? Two minutes. Fourth reason, a minute and a half or something like that in the was, in the opener. I think it was a little over two minutes. Okay, but yeah, it was it was fast, insane. And one of those was like a pull up twenty seven footer with twenty seconds left on the shot clock, which I freaking adore. But you, you knew he was going to come out and shoot one for four from three point range next. I, I give him actually credit for only taking four attempts in twenty minutes because I thought it was going to be about double that if I'm being honest. Um, but I I think I think that bench unit, especially if you get a lead guard to start, you put. Um, Maxi on that second unit. I think Maxi Drummond pick and roll could be interesting, especially if you start surrounding them with a bunch of shooters. Drummond has been, I mean, he's been Drummond. Yeah, That's what he's been. but I think this is like when Ferk does the behind the back pass and the stupid shit. You go, oh, that's like that's Ferk being Ferk. When Drummond does it, it seems like it annoys me a little more. Maybe it's it's like a center bias where like you don't think a center should be doing stupid shit like that. But like there, there's a little bit of common ground there with Ferk and Drummond where like they just get it in their head that they're someone more than they truthfully are. Drummond has been, ex- I, I, I said, I think the way I've put it on Twitter, he has just enough passing ability to be scary for both teams, <laughs> which yeah, look, he's been incredible on the boards, made a couple of really nice passes in each game, made a couple of the, the one pass um, that, that what behind the back pass to the corner I was like looking down typing and all of a sudden you just start like tugging on my shoulder and then like cracking up and slapping the desk. And like, I missed it because I was, I was taking a note or something, but he's going to do a couple of those a game and you're just going to have to live with that. But I honestly, his defense has been better than I expected. He's been incredible on, on the glass. He's obviously got some um, skill and some touch and the passing is just, it's going to be home run interception, all home run pick six all, all year long. Just yeah, the he's he the is. he's the Jameis Winston of, yeah. of big man passing, and it's it's true. I mean, he's thrown over the two games. I bet you he's thrown three or four, probably three 
legit dimes where he hits a guy back door and it's a really nice. Pass. I he mean, really, the last those night, back door passes. He he's uh, truthfully a he likes them and b he's pretty good at them. But it's when he starts trying to branch out a little bit that it's like, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah, because at least you can say on those ones. I mean, those are risky passes. Don't don't get me wrong. But at least the reward on that is yeah. a layup if if the guy gets the ball. Some of the other ones are, you know, the self-created. I mean, the the two in the first game that just I was lo- I was well, then in New that, Orleans. That I was one drive he off. had in the second game, it's like, buddy, there was no chance. He had like a spinning drive that was like, that's never gonna work. That is never gonna work. Yeah, and he. Uh, well, I mean, I think you saw with the behind the back pass. So in the second game, he uh, he he catches the ball kind of on the short roll and he throws a frozen rope to Niang in the corner. By the way, Niang's got to make that shot after yeah. he throws that pass. I'm just, uh, just saying, George, uh, you got, you got to make that one. So, uh, there's that one. But then in the first game, he tried to, I think it was off a rebound for no reason. He was like in the middle of the air. He just got the rebound and he tried to go behind the back and it went out of bounds. And it, it was like the pass he threw behind the back last night to Niang if he tried to do that again, I think that goes to the 10th <laughs> row. So I, I think as a coach, that's got to be uh, pretty frustrating. For me, I don't know. I, I, you know, until you get into the playoffs, I'm kind of along the, the Dwight school just entertained me in certain ways. <laughs> and if it's if it's bad, who cares? I mean, because like, look, Andre Drummond and, and Dwight, they're here. They're not here to develop in a future sure. core pieces so sure. that's why i think you like cork too it's like all right cork you're trying to get him to be better but again he's not a a core piece moving forward also by the way corks behind the back passes usually they're fairly safe i would say they're they're like they're unnecessary on... but not likely to be a pick six no yeah. and uh yeah so drummond yeah and, and i agree with you i i do think he's he's been encouraging though defensively i thought he definitely was good in that second half. He made a couple of nice plays, uh, kind of helping when the Sixers were in scramble situations because the Nets offense, they just run one pick and roll and they put you in scramble situations. Nice job there. Nice job in the first game in the second half as well. Blocked a couple of alley-oops to Jackson Hayes, who uh, who I thought was going to kill somebody because he's, he's just running all over the place. He's pretty wild uh, as a player. Um yeah, I honestly think though you look at Niang and Drummond. That's a they're both okay in their roles, but they're also a pretty nice fit skill set wise too. So I, I think yeah. you could feel okay about uh, about how they played. And you know, Matisse, the defense is still really good. The offense is just nowhere, absolutely nowhere. But uh, you know, I think you can make uh, you can make do with this bench. Unfortunately, not. Not a couple good games for Isaiah Joe after being no. the be- best player in the world in the preseason. And he barely, like, he, he, I think he played like three minutes in the second game. Um, yeah. But has not, he's, he's looked like he's, there's an adjustment there against real NBA players. Um, but it, we're also talking, he's maybe played a grand total of 15 minutes and taken three or four shots. So it's, yeah. you know, it's early days for sure. Um, Matisse Thibel, what about? 50 minutes of playing time, he has six points on six <laughs> shots. You need more than six points in 50 minutes of playing time. You just but, but the only way he scores is on... Yeah, that one, I mean, back, it, one baseline cut. The one baseline cut where the guy completely forgets about him. By the way, you should completely forget about him because you just read the stats on how often yeah. he shoots. Uh, because guess what? If he catches the ball in the corner... You know, he even got an assist last night where... 
I think he swung at the Niang for a three. And it was an okay pass, but he was wide open in the corner. It was one where the Nets defense was completely screwed up off, I believe, some maxi penetration. And it's like, man, you're not confident taking that corner three right now. It's, I don't know. It's, but like, look, that's been the story with Matisse the whole time. He, uh, defense still looks really good. I don't know. He's, he's Matisse. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's mostly what I have on those, uh, on those two games. The FERC. Yeah. The, the explosion in the first game. Wonderful. Just, uh, imagine you're not going to get that every night, but FERC is, I like, look, Ferk has played well. He's played well as the backup point guard. Yes. I, I do not think he is. I'm not necessarily expecting that to continue. I certainly don't think he's like a suitable option as the backup point guard. No. But look, Doc and not Doc, uh, Ben Simmons and Daryl Morey with the roster building they have done have put him in a near impossible spot. And Doc sure. has to play him as the backup. It, it puts Doc in a really hard spot in this case as well. And it's. And, it's early th- days. Like you've gone against two teams that have bad defensive backcourts. Um, yep. Especially the Nets when they don't have Javon Carter in there, they're not going to pressure the ball all that much. He, Pelicans he are a disaster uh, defensively. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Javon Carter was pressuring him a little bit. No, that's he, what I mean. I mean, outside of Javon Carter, they don't have anyone else. Yep. But but like, look against Javon Carter. Here's the difference. You're just getting the ball over half court and you're passing it to somebody else and then starting yep. to run the offense because that is a chore. But you know what? He actually did it, so that's good. So yeah, I mean the Pelicans. I mean. My God, do they stink? Yeah. They're horrible. Yep. Yep. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. But I think my takeaway from Point Ferg is that it's great that he's showing sort of like that awareness coming out of a pick and roll. He's got the size to pass over the defense. He's a good enough shooter that they have to pressure him a little bit. It's great that he's showing all of that. I just like it a little more as a secondary creator on the second unit rather than as a point guard on the second unit. Yeah. And, and maybe if and when they get that point guard on the uh, on the second unit, they, then he'll be able to show that. But yeah, definitely. I mean, look, the Pelicans, like I just said a minute ago, they suck. But he made a couple really nice passes to Niang and to Joe out of the pick and roll. A couple uh, bullets across the corner uh, court for uh, for corner threes. He's done a nice job in a bad situation for sure. Yeah, yeah, and he probably like you said, he, he, Niang missed a couple of of really open corner threes. Could have had a couple more assists there in that first game. He's he has played well given the circumstances for sure. Is this where we transition to the other part of the podcast? We, we got a good 35 minutes of basketball talk, and I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I think that's all we had on the, the games, right? Yeah. So. Oh, uh, oh good job. Wait, real, real, real quick. Good job uh, getting Zoom off to be the uh, the bell ringer. Yeah. No, and the, the Wells Fargo Center was, was rocking. Um, rocking. I mean, it felt every bit of a game seven of a playoff series 
both the beginning and the electricity of the cl- of the crowd, and then also and, the end. And the end. <laughs> but Game 7 atmosphere, good job all around. Uh, all right, so Ben Simmons. I don't think we've had a podcast since he... No, can you, the, the being kicked out of practice, we haven't had a podcast since then. Nope. I've talked about it on like a million podcasts, just not our own. And so uh, I don't even remember what it was. It was Tuesday. He got kicked out of practice. Um, you know, basically Doc Rivers asked him to get in a drill. He said no. Doc Rivers asked him again. He said no. Kicked him out, dropped the ball, went home. Um, suspended for the opener. And then came out and was had a work through or a walk an individual practice, uh, individual session on their day off on their travel day, uh, there on Thursday. Um, they didn't have any team activity, but the low minute guys had a. They typically have individual sessions. During that time, uh, he got treated for his back. He said his back was tight. The doctors treated him, cleared him, and then he went home. So that is sort of where that happened. Then Friday came along. Uh, they had a shoot-around before the game, and this is according to Sham Sharania. Uh, sources, Ben Simmons spoke to Doc Rivers, Joel Embiid, and the entire 76ers team today and accepted everyone needs to take responsibility, including himself. But Simmons informed them all that he's not mentally ready to play yet and needs time. Sharania also said Simmons reported the shoot-around today ahead of the Nets game and was seen engaged around the team, sources said. The three-time All-Star has expressed he wants to play but isn't prepared mentally. So we haven't really gotten an update here since then on what exactly that means and what kind of timeline we're looking at if we're looking at a timeline. And I think that's led to a lot of, you know, first of all, he he complained about the back tightness. A lot of people have questioned that. A lot of people have brought up the exactly what that means by being mentally ready to play. Um, I I guess we'll just start it off with you. Like what's your sort of expectation here going forward what where do you think we stand what uh, what it's i mean it's still impossible to to know because the the one thing you didn't mention which was not a direct uh action by ben simmons daryl morey gave an interview on the yeah. mike missinelli show the other day that should have had the hit him up instrumental on the background <laughs> yeah yeah of it it was uh I mean, it was. I, I was driving home from the uh, from the airport after uh, after New Orleans, and I, I couldn't believe it. Like, I, I could not believe. Now, I, pretty much everything he said, we already knew. I think you know, noise coming from the Sixers. Uh, I mean, just like literally looking at the situation and deducing what he's thinking, it, it was not that. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, it's like we have said pretty much word for word what he said. Just reading the tea leaves for sure. So I but guess, you, I guess the, major... but you didn't expect him to say it though. No, but I, I get why, like he's, he's not speaking to the fans or you and I, as much as he's speaking to rich Paul and Ben yeah. Simmons and other teams and being like, Hey, coming here and acting out, isn't going to get your way. We're going to be here for the long haul. And I think oh, yeah. the, the major quote that people, you know, he, he said at one point, people should buckle in, um, you know, he basically went on and said, what's our best chance to win a championship? And, and right now it's reintegrating Ben Simmons. Um, he said, you know, basically, like, if we trade him for role players, that gets to a championship. We don't believe that it does. Uh, he then said, you're going to think I'm kidding. I'm not. This could go on for four years. And then later on, he said, we're in the prime of Joel's career. 
either Ben Simmons is playing for us or we have to get a difference maker back. I think a lot of people like took the four year part a little bit literally. And and really what he's saying there is like, we're willing to wait as long as we have to wait. Four years is just how much longer Ben Simmons has in his career. Like, I don't think he's actually saying buckle in. This is going to take four years, but he's sending that message because look, you can't like, there's no timeline. You can't say I'm going to act up for the next two weeks and I'll be gone. It's not going to work out like that. So start trying to work with us here and get us to a point where the trades get better. Um, Hyperbole to prove yes, it. Yes, yes. Um, he's basically saying, I'll wait until I have to. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't... We're just not used to having an executive go on the radio and talk at a time like this, quite frankly. Um, but, but like you said, we haven't seen a situation like this, so it very well might have called for it, you know? Yeah, and I mean, it is unique in, in a star player asking out with this much time left. Um, the, the leverage, most all-star or better players have more leverage than Ben does in this spot. So you get why, um, Daryl is out there on that radio show, but it's look, it's what we've been saying the whole time. I don't expect this to be resolved here in the next couple of weeks. I think that's why Ben has reported back. I think that's why Ben at least a little bit has admitted a tiny bit of defeat there and tried a little more to reintegrate himself with the team or at least quit some of the um, pouting that had been on display before then, because I think everyone sort of realizes that this, there's no trade on the horizon. Like this isn't going to be resolved here in the next couple of days or even weeks. We're probably sitting here for at least another six weeks, maybe longer until something changes and Daryl gets what he wants. And I don't think Daryl is going to, going to trade him right now, given how low the market is. And we can debate whether or not the market is actually going to change. And I think it'll change a little bit as we get closer to the trade deadline and as more players are available for trade and as teams come to a realization about who they are, I think it's mostly external factors who will change that. Um, but maybe it doesn't change substantially, but I think Daryl's going to give every chance to see whether or not it will, unless Ben Simmons truly becomes a cancer on a Sixers organization. And I think what he saw in the first couple of days is a player who was certainly making the team more uncomfortable than they were when he was holding out and away from the team. And I think that, um, you know, that interview on the radio was try to sort of nip that a little bit before it got out of hand and say, look, Ben, are you, are you willing to be a pain in the butt for as long as you're going to need to, because I'm not blinking. Um, and we'll see whether or not that message proves effective. Yeah. That, that's the question. And I, I, I do think it was no coincidence that Simmons on Friday, look, it, at least came to the table a little bit. You and know, had a after, conversation, like a first conversation with Joel Embiid that he's had crazy. since the end of the season. I mean, like when I say come to the table, I mean, just like talk to people and, yeah. you know, you know what was said. I don't know. I mean, you know, Embiid and I think, you know, Tobias talked about it a little bit after last night. He very strongly uh, came to Simmons defense and said, you need to give him space and mental health and all of those things. So yeah, that's, that's where we're at. I, I you're right though. I, I don't think it was a coincidence that it came after like Daryl Moore said, Hey man, like I'm willing to keep doing this as long as you keep doing this, but a trade is not coming anytime soon. So are, are you willing to sulk for, I don't know, six weeks, maybe longer, possibly longer, by the way, I think that's the other sure. part of this too, where, uh, you know, I, I think he's made his position 
quite clear. Now, what we're getting from Ben Simmons, I don't know. I mean, Ben Simmons is not mentally ready to to play. I, you know, I don't know what to do with that completely, right? No. I don't know if that's... I, I hate speculating on, on this type of stuff because, you know, who knows? Like, I, I don't know what's in another guy's head, and he certainly has been... um you know, through a lot of stuff as a player, I would say, on the court and, and probably and off the person. court as, yep. as yep. well. Um, but, you know, it, it also is coming on the heels of him. I, I mean, his first like four or five days here were, were basically unprecedented. Like he was a complete pain in the ass in his own passive way. Uh, yeah. So I don't know what to do with it. Uh, I, I certainly don't think it hurts the Sixers in the short term if he's away from the team for a little while. But. I think uh I think at some point here he's gonna have to play. If and uh if that's not the case, you know, then then I think things get uncomfortable again. Yeah, and I think uh, this is tough. Um because that is you know, not being mentally prepared is exceptionally vague. And I I think that's tough for a lot of people to sort of wrap their minds around. Myself included, because we don't we don't know exactly what he's getting at. You know, but I do think the one thing, and quite frankly, Tobias or um, Ben Simmons isn't the world's most sympathetic figure in all this, uh, and and for this discussion, you know, he's he he didn't develop the way he should have over the last couple of years, and those limitations of his game have impacted the team's success, and he's been had sort of like this righteous indignation that he didn't need to develop. Uh, and that his his problems weren't hurting the team, and his deficiencies weren't hurting the team. And then the way that the summer has gone about, with not talking to his teammates, and you know the way he's gone about asking for a trade, and the fact that a couple months ago he told you if he came back he wasn't going to be the same committed individual that he previously was. And for a whole bunch of reasons, Ben Simmons, you know, basically what's happening now the last couple of weeks since he's returned to camp, he he he's following through on a threat that he made months ago. So there's a whole bunch of reasons that he's not the most sympathetic figure in the world. There's a whole bunch of reasons you should be upset at him and disappointed in him and angry at him and whatnot. And I think I think a lot of that is fair. I don't what I'm gonna say isn't gonna try to change that. But I do think there's some truth to what Tobias said. You know, he basically said that athletes are depicted as superhumans and they're not supposed to have feelings or be able to acknowledge that they're going through stuff. And I think there's some truth to that. I think it's some truth that's pretty unique to athletes in general. You know, I think if you or I have something going on in our personal life that causes us to have trouble focusing on work, if we write a bad column or we go through months where we're writing maybe not bad columns, but columns that aren't up to our potential or our podcasts aren't as good as they used to be, you know, maybe readers go read another analyst or maybe they go listen to another podcast, but they move on with life. They're not angry. Even in other field, even in other high profile celebrity fields, if an actor is going through stuff personally, maybe he goes through a couple of years where he doesn't, you know, make a movie. You watch other movies, you watch other actors. Athletes are a little bit unique in that there's no real way to redirect that passion. There's no, you know, if, if Ben Simmons isn't performing up to his standards. And if that impacts a team, there's no other professional basketball team in Philadelphia for you to go root for. There's no, it, rather than having any kind of 
empathy for a player in a situation that can get redirected to anger real quick because of that, because there's no, because that is impacting your favorite team, because there's no real way to redirect that passion. And I do think that passion can then turn to anger with athletes in a way that most other professions, like I said, even public ones don't. And, you know, I do think there's something, you know, to what Tobias said. And I, I try to go back and I, you know, I think a lot of times we look at it and we say, well, you can't compare our jobs to their jobs. And I think sometimes that's true, but I think there's other times where we should try to put, do a better job of putting ourselves in, in the shoes of professional athletes. And, you know, I go back to, you know, there was a point two years ago where something happened in my personal life that had, had rocked my world in a way that's never been rocked before. And really, I think for the first time in my life, I felt depression and like I needed counseling and help to get through it. And that absolutely impacted, you know, my job performance in a way that was noticeable for me. And it's not that anything changed with my job. I still love my job. It's just, it felt like after that event happened, nothing in my life at that point mattered the way it previously did. And I was stuck in quicksand and it took me, took me a little while to get out of that. And I think back to that. And I think if I was under the kind of scrutiny that athletes were and that their job performance was, and people noticed that my performance suffered and dipped and people hated me for it, like how tough would that be? And I do think it is that athletes and their performance is so unique and their job because of how it impacts us as a community it is i it, if you're going through something as a professional athlete like i think a lot of people look at professional athletes and like fame and money should overcome everything and it doesn't and i think this is actually one instance where fame could make something like something if an athlete is going through something fame can make it that much tougher to go through and athletes are people everyone has ups and downs everyone has stuff that you don't know about that they're going through and i think we need to grow a little bit in our understanding of or an acknowledgement that off-court stuff mental health stuff even family stuff could impact these individuals. And do I know what Ben's referring to when he says he's not mentally prepared to play? No. That could be, like I said, that could be uncomfortable situations of his own making. That could be family stuff. And this is one thing where, you know, last spring, we didn't really cover it all that much. We might have mentioned it on a podcast or two, but we didn't go deep into it. Um, but there was, and the only reason I'm really bringing it up now is because... Uh, there was, a, first of all, a court case in Australia. And then also Ramona Shelburne of ESPN mentioned it on, I think, both the podcast and her article. You know, Ben Ben went through some very legitimate, very serious family stuff there in the spring. Uh, he missed four games because of it um, to deal with, with off-court stuff. Um, but his sister accused his brother of molesting her as a child. We sort of made the, the determination at the time that we were going to give Ben his space and not really talk about it. Um, in part, that's just because there wasn't like the amount of details out there wasn't all that high in part because that was a family situation 
and we just made the decision to give him space. But to think that it's just sort of like an example. And like I said, I don't know whether Ben's mental preparedness is tied to that in the slightest. I just don't know. I don't know if it's tied to the trade request and the awkwardness of coming back to the team. I don't know if it's tied to, you know, the way that the fan base is mad at him for the way that he performed at the end of last season. It could be any of those. It could be none of those. It could be something entirely different. I don't know. But what I'm, I guess, trying to get at is we can sort of find this middle ground as fans where we can acknowledge the mistakes that he's made, the mistakes that he's made in trying to get his way off the team, the mistakes that he has made in not developing as a basketball player. And we can hold him accountable for all of that while open, keeping open to the fact that he is human going through stuff that we probably just don't know about with mental hurdles, mental stress that humans naturally have. And I do think Tobias's words, even if they're not going to make you feel sympathy towards Ben right now, I think there's something to keep in mind when we talk about sports in general. Because I do think some of the discourse can get um, uniquely bad and uniquely negative in a way that you just don't see. Like I said, even in other, um, even in other public, even in other celebrity careers. So I, I think it's just something to keep in mind. I, I think that's fair, and it's and he's also made mistakes and handled this in a shitty way, and like he's all that's this. fair. You can ha- you can be angry at him and also sympathetic. He's handled this very poorly. There's just just no way around that. Yeah. That doesn't, unfortunately, it does not change the the past five months of this and what what he's done on the court as well. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where I started this off by saying I don't really know how to react. And I, I think you kind of saw it from the two people who talked about it last night. You had Tobias, who was very big on the mental health portion of it, and Joel was a little more measured on it. I would say we'd like uh, to win basketball games. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't know. I don't I, know where, like, I, I don't know where we're at. I don't know what Ben's telling them. And like I said, I've thought a lot about this and like, I don't think he necessarily has, like, if he's truly going through something mentally, I don't think it's, there's a burden to share that per se, because I think about when I've gone through stuff and like, especially like the public, like I'm not telling the public what I'm going through, even if it's impacting my work, I'm not telling the public. And I think athletes don't have to prove to you that they're going through stuff it's it's tough it's a very tough subject but i think it's something that we don't talk about enough in part because it's a tough subject to talk about but to think that these athletes aren't like everyone else everyone's going through shit everyone you meet is going through something some worse than others and it's hard to have sympathy for athletes at times or at least i think fans struggle to have sympathy for athletes at times because they are on such public display yeah but but so like as far as where it goes forward though no idea. You know, no, I have no idea. Um, I, I would say like if he, you know, understandably is going through stuff, like should get help, uh, and that should be, should be part of this. But and by the way, even he could still just like not want to play in Philadelphia too. Like that's everything he, well, is on the table. Everything is on the table. At some point, that's you know, that the I don't know. It's a hard situation, but but I do think. Um, you know, mental uh, mental health is a very serious subject, and you know you you want to treat it appropriately. And to, to have that, th- it would be nice if in this situation it was not an extra variable that was part of it. If it was just he's a villain who uh, who doesn't want to play here anymore, and 
just wants to get paid and all that stuff. But it, and it might uh, just be both. It might just be both. He might be a villain who doesn't want to play here and wants to get paid and also is going through some shit. It's certainly possible. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we will. Uh, we'll see in the coming days. I mean, I, I don't expect him to play in no. the next few games at least. No, uh, not at all. But, uh, but look, I, I think Daryl Morey made it really clear. There's, there's going to be a period of time that they're at some point here, they're going to expect him to play and, and play hard and talk to people and, uh, and rightfully and not, so and not do what, uh, he, he did for his, uh, his first three games. But like, look, I think his, his leverage his really his only real leverage is to continue to make it completely uncomfortable. I, I will say like, just circling back to what he did over the first three days or so. I don't think that, it certainly probably caused a lot of stress for us. It certainly was in the news every day with uh, Shams and Woj just breaking every you know new detail down of what was going on. And I'm sure that would probably have an effect on the team over a longer period of time. You can't just have it be a complete day-to-day thing at some point. That said, the team, even as much as I screwed up last night's game, I, I did not sense that this was like, completely overwhelming them as a situation i think in part because he was so standoffish he was sulking so you know we saw it at the one practice if he's dribbling to the side and doing nothing and refusing to partake in drills all right the rest of them are just having a normal practice kind of (laughs) i don't know so we'll see i i just think though like just from being around them for a little bit look I, i think he certainly they probably win the game if he plays last night so to say that uh that his presence isn't missed out there. I think that's more an on-court thing. But the the idea that this has become just a complete distraction of these players, at least in the short term, I'm not sure he's quite there yet. I think he would have to do something else. Yeah. So we'll see. And I I do agree with you. Like, I think right now it's probably not as much of a distraction as he would need it to be. But I do think if it stays up for, like, if this happens for two months, uh, it could become more yeah. and, like tougher and tougher to deal with for sure. But also, is he going to do it for two months? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. You're, you're not going to talk to people for two months. Yeah, that'd be tough. That's that'd be tough. hard. I don't know. I mean, that's just that. That almost seems harder than than doing the Jimmy stuff. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Know. Okay. Well, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I, I I don't know what his 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 plan is for sure. For sure. Uh, I have. I, we'll see. Uh, all right. I think that is long enough. We've got an hour podcast out of this. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.